hope you listened closely to the Old Testament lesson this morning that Wilson read to us because it's about sugar and spice and everything nice. There's going to be no more problems and difficulties and God is going to set you free. Now turn to the New Testament lesson, Luke 3, in your Bibles, I think on page 56 in the New Testament, and listen for this word of God in contrast to that word of God. This is John the Baptist speaking to the crowds, and John says the following. John said to the crowds that came out to be baptized by him, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruits worthy of repentance. Do not begin to say to yourselves, We have Abraham as our ancestor, for I tell you, God is able to raise up these stones into children. Even now the axe is lying at the root of the trees. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. And the crowd said, what then should we do? In reply, John said, whoever has two coats, share one with someone who has none. Whoever has food, do likewise. Even tax collectors came to him and said, what are we supposed to do? He said to them, collect no more than the amount prescribed for you. Even the soldiers asked him, what are we supposed to do? He said to them, do not extort money from anyone by threats or false accusation and be satisfied with your wages. As the people were filled with expectation and all were questioning their hearts about John, whether he might be the Messiah, John answered all of them saying, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I is coming. I'm not even worthy to untie the thong of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his granary but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. So with many other exhortations, John proclaimed good news to the people. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As I said at the open door service earlier this morning, I had a real struggle of whether I was going to preach from these passages today. And the struggle was because the Zephaniah passage talks about how God is going to relieve us and free us and give us all this kind of freedom and going to make us kind of the apple of everybody's eyes. And then you get to Luke's gospel and John preaches like a sawdust trail revivalist under a huge tent out in the middle of a cornfield. When John declares, you bunch of hypocrites, You are going straight to hell if you don't repent and ask for forgiveness. There could not have been more of a contrast. There could not have been anything more devastating. There could not be anything more anti-Presbyterian than to say, you bunch of members at First Presbyterian Church, you're going you know where if you don't straighten up. Then add to these scripture passages, which are the ones I didn't pick, but they're the ones for the third Sunday in Advent, add the whole context of where we are in this Christian church year, of all the things that are going on around us to prepare us for Christmas and for Advent and the birth of Christ. As I mentioned earlier, the lessons and carols last week, a beautiful 
setting when we came to worship while it was snowing. Some of you went Christmas caroling on Wednesday evening. This afternoon is the quiet, respectful, not any noise pageant, according to Mary Kay. It'd be my first experience. There are two Christmas Eve worship services, not to mention all the shopping and all the cooking and the parties and family coming in and the joyous holiday season. It could not be a better picture of what Christmas is in the U.S. of A. And yet we show up at church today and are called a brood of vipers. In other words, you're a bunch of snakes. You're hypocrites. You're deceivers. You know you're in trouble, and yet you want to present a good image that makes things look like everything's okay when, in fact, things are rotting at the core in your life. As I said, I was sketchy on whether or not I was going to preach on this topic because I wondered, what has repentance got to do with Christmas? What has repentance got to do with being ready for the newborn babe in Bethlehem? And then it suddenly hit me. It has everything to do with getting ready for Christmas. Repentance has everything to do for us preparing ourselves for the birth of Christ. And if we're not willing to hear these words, if we're not willing for these words to touch our hearts and our lives, then we will simply go through another happy holiday season in a secularized community and miss the very reason for the season. I've come to a whole new appreciation of how repentance is an important ingredient, essential and central for us to get ready for Jesus Christ. I hope you might hear some of that too in what John has to say. John begins very judgmental. There's no question. He calls them hypocrites. He calls them snakes that are trying to run away from the fire before they get burned up. I thought one time about just starting that way with you all and just say, you bunch of hypocrites, you're going to hell, da 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 And I thought, no, even though I'm temporary, I don't want to be more temporary than temporary. <laughs> but this happened to me once in college. I went to a revival in a Pentecostal church. I, along with some other college students, were working in a Presbyterian church in a mill community in South Carolina, working with children through the sixth grade, trying to give them some sense of hope and a future. And so I admit, I didn't have the purest motives going to this revival at the Pentecostal church. At the end of the service, the evangelist made his pitch for people to come to receive Christ. I was sitting in the regular Presbyterian row on the very back row. He was at the front, and he became very insistent in his call to come to the altar. And he stared right at me. He said, you never know. On your way home tonight, something may happen and you may die. Are you ready to meet Jesus? He said, you never know. There may be a bomb in this building. This was way before the terrorist stuff of this generation. And it may go off and you won't get out of this place. He said, you may only have 10 seconds left. Nine, eight, (laughs) seven. He counted all the way to zero, and thank God nothing happened. He stared at me, and I stared right back at him. I was hard-headed as a sophomore in college, and I was an arrogant Presbyterian. But he was right. Was I ready? Was I prepared? I think he had the right question. 
I don't think his methodology was right. For the issue then, the issue now is about repentance. Are you willing to repent? Are you willing to declare that as a part of your life and of my life that needs to change so that I can be fully committed to Jesus Christ? That there are issues in my life and in your life that are not about my faith, but more about me and what I want. I make a parallel to this issue with people that go through addiction. People that I have worked with that have gone through addiction oftentimes have to hit rock bottom before they realize I've got to get up and do something. Because they've deluded themselves in thinking they can handle this. They deluded themselves to thinking they've got all the skills they need. They've deluded themselves to thinking, you know, I don't need any help, which of course they did. And I think the same thing happens in our faith journey. We're a bunch of pretty self-sufficient, well-educated folks who can figure out things and usually keep things on a pretty even keel. We even acknowledge that Jesus Christ is our Lord and Savior. But have we ever submitted totally ourselves to that reality. John was trying to say to the crowds, don't come here just to get baptized and think you've checked off your salvation list. Don't think that your ancestry through Abraham is going to get you that either. Don't think you've got certain privileges that are yours because of your birth or because of this practice of baptism that's going to make things okay. His comments remind me of a lot of us. Many of us say, I'm, I'm a church member. I go when I can, especially at Christmas and Easter. What else is needed? I'm a church member, and so I want to have my baby baptized. And we stood in front, and we accepted the vows, and you never saw us again, much less my child being in Sunday school or in youth group. I joined this church because of this center aisle so I could get married and walk down that aisle like you're supposed to in a real marriage. And yet my spouse and I never have come back to work on our religious relationship. I get upset. I like Christmas Eve, but I get upset on Christmas Eve because everybody comes to the services and it's so crowded and the preachers have the nerve to say, don't save spaces for families. First come, first serve. And then the service goes too long and it messes up the dinner plans we had. Not to mention Sunday morning when it goes past noon and I miss my tea time or I miss my brunch appointment or we just can't seem to beat the Baptist to the club. It just takes too long. Well, all of this, John is simply calling us to task with one simple question. What do you think you're doing? What is this faith stuff all about? Is it about your convenience or is it about God's grace? Whew, judgment. Judgment is pretty harsh and tough. But I want to make a suggestion to you this morning that judgment really is a gift of grace. That this notion about repentance is an opportunity for us to stop and to pause and to ask ourselves the questions, what is missing in my life? What do I need to do to be able to prepare myself fully for the birth of Christ? What is my purpose? 
Why do I show up? Can I be honest about my own shortcomings and be accepted and welcomed in a community of faith? Or do I have to put up some image in some front? Can I have the burden lifted off of me that I don't have to be somebody I'm not? John goes on to show us a way out, to show us possible outcome of the gift of repentance. For you see, the crowds were shocked. They were just kind of back on their heels because they thought they had done right. They'd come to get baptized like you're supposed to do. And the crowds finally pled with him and said, what then should we do? Give us some clues. Give us some handles. And the answer to the question, what should we do, is nothing and everything. Nothing to be done because God's already done it. God's already done it in his son, Jesus Christ. God has already forgiven us. God has allowed us to have a new life if we will just claim that promise. There's nothing you can do except simply to say thank you and accept that gift that God has given through his son, Jesus Christ. That gift that gives you a new life and new possibilities and new direction. And yet there's everything you need to do as well. If repentance means turning your life around, changing that portion of your life that's not in sync with God, then there's going to be some reflection in your attitude and your actions to reflect that repentance. John gives some examples. If you got two coats, give one to somebody else. If you got too much food, share with somebody else. If you're a tax collector, collect what you're supposed to collect, but don't go gouging people about it. If you're a soldier, serve your country with pride, but don't extort people as a way to make them subservient to you. Seems like these are appropriate kind of admonitions for us today as well. That doing these things is not a way just to check off your list to make sure that your salvation card is all in order. But it really is a way in which you begin to live a different life so that your life is no longer greedy and all about self, but about others. In your business, it's not about gouging people or fleecing people. It's about giving a good product and working well. And if you're in civil or secular society in terms of community involvement and service, That's all great, and you need to do that. But the issue is the spotlight's not to be on you. It's to be on your service. It really is a whole new way of life, a whole different approach to life, changing from self to God, changing from self-centered to God-centered, changing from being number one to being a servant. And I guarantee you that when that happens in your life, the stress And the anxiety and the burden you carry are suddenly lifted off of you because you're finally free to live like God wants you to live. My proposal is that repentance is a gift in the Advent season, a gift for us to assess where we are in our relationship to God, a gift for us to kind of test our spiritual readiness a gift for us to finally be the people God wants us to be and a gift for us to be ready to receive the Christ child.
to meet Jesus Christ on Christmas Day. He who is our Savior, he who is our God, he who has given us life eternal and a new life right now. The question is, what should you do? Let us pray. Eternal God, thank you for this gift of repentance, for the gift of calling ourselves to task about what is missing or empty or vacant in our lives, a gift that allows us to see a new life, a life that could be full of joy and happiness, a life that could give, give you praise and honor and glory. Come, Lord Jesus, and in this Advent season, may we experience your, good, your love, your acceptance, and our repentance. Through Christ our Lord. Amen.